In this episode of the Retire ASAP show, we are talking about what you're going to do with your money after you're gone. Is it to your kids? Is it to a charity? What are the benefits? What do I do during this time of inflation? So stay tuned. It's time for the Retire ASAP podcast. Here's your host, Taylor Fike. Welcome to the Retire ASAP show, where our goal is to get you free from work as soon as possible. My name is Taylor Fike, and with me, I got Brad Fike. What's up, Brad? Uh, oh. I, I just came from the Browns game you last night. Lose your voice, I screaming just got, for a, a final, finally a team that wins. I just got home. They actually won. I, I was up all night partying and down in the square of uh, Cleveland. Yeah, right. <laughs> you were you were way too old to party in the square of Cleveland. These well, days. let me tell you, there was my day, but that was a long time ago. But uh, what a game we had last night for the Brownies. Um, they haven't done much uh, this year at all, actually. And uh, last night was a, like a whole fresh breath of air and uh, I don't know that it'll continue but it sure was fun last night I told all my friends I said the Browns are like golf you hate golf because you go out there and you just swing for 18 holes well let's let's say you swing for 17 holes and you just play terrible and you hate it but you get to that last hole and they have one glimmer of hope just one nice swing that you hit you know to the green or whatever and you go boy do I love this sport that's the Browns. They have a terrible season all season long, making dumb mistake, dumb mistake, dumb mistake. They play the Bengals. They have one good game. I go, this is the Super Bowl season. We're in, baby. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Yep, good times, man. We had a, a, it was a, it was really lively last night in Cleveland. Let me tell you, it was a wild downtown. Well, a Monday night football game with Halloween on the same day. Oh in, yeah, in a game that's a rivalry game. I'm sure it was buzzing in there. There was uh, some uh, very good outfits. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some on TV that were pretty funny. So. Oh well, some on the street were a little more uh, provocative. Yeah, Let's, maybe uh, not. Maybe not funny. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's somebody's daughter. Good oh, lord, I'm sure it was. <laughs> well, anyway, this episode we're going to talk about a little bit of the financial stuff that's going on when it comes to what are you going to do with your money after you're gone? Because a lot of people they have dreams and goals of leaving money to their kids or to their family members, or maybe it's a charity that they're passionate about. And there's different ways to do that in your financial plan to be more tax efficient, to be more cost effective. There's all kinds of ways to look at that. So we're going to dive in just a real shallow view into that. But before we get into it, we've gotten a lot of questions on these things called I-bonds. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's... Uh, they're hot. They're new. They're, they're exciting. They're hot. And you can only buy them at treasurydirect.gov. Yeah. So don't don't get scammed. Don't go somewhere else. Go direct to the to the treasury yeah, website sure that sells them. Make sure it's a legit government there's, site. There's no financial advisors that can sell I-bonds. Now, they can probably tell you where to go, but don't pay a commission for something you can just buy direct. Yeah. But either way, these I-bonds are really interesting because they're tied to... They have an inflation factor tied to them. So earlier this year, they were they were getting like 9% interest or something I think crazy they were, like that. They just ended the 9.62%. Yeah, so that just ended. But for a while there, 9.62% on an investment that's guaranteed by the federal government not to go down, right? Yeah. And just remember, though, there's a base rate to that. And the base rate is 0%. So tell me a little bit more about that base rate. What does that mean? Well, that so, means that that's the bottom floor of what you can get in interest? Yeah. So you can. those are 30-year bond. In other words, you, you can hold them for 30 years if you okay. want. So right now, it has a base rate of zero. So if I buy it, it's guaranteed to earn zero. That means I'll get my money back at the end of 30 years. You can never lose money. Or after my five-year period. you got to hold them for five years or you're going to have a penalty on the interest. Some of the last three prior months of interest, if you cash out before the five years is up. Right. So at the end of five years, you can walk away. Worst case would be zero. But you're going to get in. You have that zero base, but then you get the inflation rate. Now, it was 9.62 till today. 
Right, started November first because every November first, twenty two, to be clear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of twenty two, every six months they readjust whatever that inflation on, rate is. Yeah. The so CP. that adjusts the interest rate that's on top of that zero percent guarantee. That's correct. So starting today, it's uh, going to be between. I think it's going to be about six point four eight. Is what we'll call it. I've yeah. seen six point four seven, six point four eight. The website doesn't even have it updated today. So. Basically, 6.48%. You get 3.236% every six months. That compounds twice a year, and that's where they get the 6.48 uh, and that's, return. And again, that's an estimate because that can be readjusted in May. In six months. So they're saying it's six point, what is it? Six point? Six point four eight. they're saying it is, for a year. For that's a year. So come May, you may not be getting that full 6.48%. Yeah, so you get to 3.236 for the first six months, mm-hmm. and then the current rate after that. Gotcha. So they're kind of complicated in that way, but they, they are a great investment tool if you're trying to battle inflation right now. Um, the only problem is, is they have a cap on how much you can put in there. Yeah, it's 10000 uh per person. So a husband and wife could do 20000 20, or 15000 if we're using five thousand extra, five thousand comes from a, a tax refund. Okay, so you can do ten thousand of your own money. If you are a W two employee, you get your tax refund, or you overpaid on your you know self employment tax, whatever, and you get at least five grand back. You can put another five grand into one of these things as long as it's directly from your refund. Right. Okay. And so that interest is credited monthly and compounded semi annually. I see. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it so is. It's, we get a lot of questions on yep. it, and I don't know if it's something that fits everybody just because it isn't a, a major piece of investment. Because you did mention a little bit about the penalties. If you, you have to leave it in there for at least one year, you know, that's it's yes. a one year gear. You minimum. have to minimum have a one year in there. And then after that first year, years, you know, two through five, if you take that money out at any point in time, there's a three month interest penalty. So they look back for the last three months, they take away that interest. So you're not getting the full amount of interest that you would be, you know, if you were calculating it based off of that number that's on their website right now, you got to think through that. So you really have to, it's really a five year investment if you want to make sure you're getting your full amount of interest that's calculated on the website. Right. And so basically what's happening today, interest rates are going down, which is saying that they've already peaked. Which we all know so far at this point, they peaked in um, end of May, early June right. is when inflation peaked at this point. It seems to be going down. So as inflation continues to go down, their six-month rate's going to go down. Because that rate's based off the inflation And eventually, numbers. it could go back to zero or a half a percent right. or something like that. So you got to think about, do I want to leave that in there for five years? Now, I'm not negative on them. I think if you got money sitting in the, in the savings account, and you're earning a quarter of, or a tenth of a percent, right. then it doesn't really hurt if it's money you're not going to use. But just keep in mind, there are penalties if you bail out early. And that first 12 months, you're locked in. So Keep you know. those things in mind. Yep. It, just look it, at those. Go it, on the website. They have a great question and answer section in there. Yeah. Just go down through that. We're not going to talk much more about this, but it's just sure. something to bring up because we had a lot of questions on it. People who tried to buy them the last few days of October because they could locked in that 9.62 for the next six months. So I heard the website was just crashy and people couldn't nice. get through and get anything bought. So if you're going to do it, they always say wait till the end because then you carry that higher interest rate for the next six months. 
before they knock it down. But the problem is everybody else is waiting the last few days. So do it maybe a month ahead of the next uh, rate change, which would be May 1st. Yep. So keep that in mind if you guys are looking at the I-bonds. Um, and if it's something that you're wondering, man, does that fit my financial plan? Maybe it's time to talk to your advisor. If that's us, great. We'd be happy to go over, see if it fits into the plan overall, what you're doing. But if it's not us, then maybe bring it up to your other advisor, whoever that is. So let's get into this estate planning thing. Because in estate planning essentially is, how do I plan my estate? And that always sounds like a bit like, I must be a multimillionaire if I have an estate. But I mean, anybody who has assets after they pass away, that is their estate. And they need to figure out how that gets handed out to the people that are their beneficiaries and their heirs and whoever's going to get this inheritance. So what does that look like? I mean, for a lot of people, it's just a simple thing of having beneficiaries on your accounts, whether it's an investment account or any sort of 401k, something along those lines, or maybe it's as simple as putting a transfer on death, a TOD designation, or a payable on death, a POD designation on a bank account or something else that you have. But those things are, are basically the simple stuff. Those are the legal things. Those are things that you can either do on your own with whoever the provider is or do with an attorney if you need to write up some more complicated paperwork on different types of assets. So we're not going to talk about the stuff on the attorney side. You should definitely have your will updated. You should go through your assets and see what things are going to go into the probate uh, courts if you do pass away and what things are going to be able to skip that probate process. That's important. We've done an episode on how to skip probate in the past if you want to go back through some of those episodes. But what we want to talk about today is what are the financial things that you can do to be more efficient? There's ways to give money to your heirs tax-free. There's ways to make things less complicated for the people who are going to inherit the money. And so one of those things is life insurance. What are the things that you look at, Brad, when you're looking at a a client's plan? What kind of things are you looking at for life insurance things? What questions are you asking about that? Because life insurance, it's a loaded thing. There's a lot of life insurance salespeople out there. They love to get in your pocket and they love to make a huge commission on selling you this life insurance product that's going to guarantee this money and yada, yada, yada. So what do you start with when you go to a financial plan like that? Well, first of all, I look at how big the building is that the insurance company has. Then I know they're (laughs) they're raping the coals over people. That's right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, uh, you go to a big city, what is it? Banks, insurance companies, and government buildings are the nicest buildings in every big city you go to. So they must be making money somewhere. Well, the government is spending it like crazy. So I don't know how they're making money because they spend it faster than they make it. And then insurance companies and banks, you know, well, that that's where it's at, man. That's true. I mean, there is, there's rarely a broke insurance company. And when they are broke, a bigger one's buying them out. So Exactly. Uh, so usually that conversation starts. Uh, a lot of times I'll do it. When somebody's getting ready to retire, or usually in the 50s is, is at the latest point, it's great to do it earlier, but it's really hard to get people to have a mindset uh, before 60 even, they even really want to talk about it because they don't really think about estate planning or speaking from the grave. That's true. Life insurance is such a morbid conversation, isn't it? It, it is, but you know, that's how I started in the industry in 83. I was a, you know, a college uh, intern with Northwestern Mutual. So I learned all that and it really, it was uncomfortable for a while, but now I just go, you know, Hey, we're going to talk about ugly stuff that you don't want to think about, but it's a reality in life. So how do we, how do we work this? Cause that our job yeah. is to help them get through life and pass those on to the heirs as best we can. I mean, there's different ways of doing it. So some people don't care about passing money on to any beneficiaries or they don't have any kids and they really, really, truly don't care. I have people who have zero beneficiaries on accounts. 
and no matter how t- many times you go over it, but they just don't care. Right. So and in that case, you might as well end the conversation because they don't care. Right. You don't need to worry about estate planning because it's not something they're worried about. But the majority of the clients we work with do care and they want to sure. pass something on to their kids or to their grandchildren or to a charitable nonprofit. I mean, there's all different things that people want to do. So when they get when we start the conversation for retire ASAP, mm-hmm. I it's part of my conversation to talk about life insurance, but talk about what is important to you with your money. And you know, sure, you want to get through life. You don't want to outlive the the money, and we get all that. And I and mostly, almost everybody says, "Well, I'd like to leave some to my kids. I'd like mm-hmm. to have some left over for them, or some left over for whoever you know, sure. whoever they want it to go to." And so that conversation begins. Then, okay, w- let's go in deeper to that, right? So we've had we had this conversation exactly like that, where you, you say, you know. During the planning process, say they're in their mid-50s and they're planning on retiring at 60. Okay, what is that number you want to leave for the kids? Say they got two kids. Okay, well, I want each one of my kids, my son and my daughter, to have 50000 each or 100000 each out of my money when I'm done or whatever it is. And I want to make sure that they're comfortable, they get a gift from me when I'm gone, but I also want to make sure that my plan works. So you look at some of those things, you go, okay, now that I know that number... Let's work backwards. Is there is there something that we can do there? Do I need to set aside money in a certain investment that goes directly to them as beneficiaries to make sure that I don't touch that as part of my retirement income? Or is it something where I purchase a life insurance policy of some sort, whether it's a single premium whole life policy or whether it's a term policy that I think is going to outlive me, whatever those things are when I look at those, is that kind of what you're gauging in those conversations? Yeah, I think that's, you know, you're, you're on the right channel there. So um, it reflects personal desire individually of what they want to leave that starts a conversation if there's plenty of assets that we can pretty much run a scenario and go you're going to have plenty of money Mm -hmm. what you need compared to what you have why not find a way to get that to those kids tax-free yes and that's the whole goal how do we get it to them without them having to pay a lot of tax and how do we do it without you paying a lot of tax while you're alive which is a major deal because if we think about iras and 401ks if you pass away with a lot of tax deferred money those things get transferred to your kids or your beneficiaries whoever they are unless it's a spouse as a taxable event so now they have to decide do i want to take the lump sum of money say it's a hundred grand they take that hundred grand lump sum. That's a hundred grand extra income on your kids who are probably in their highest earning years they've ever been. So they're already in their highest tax bracket ever. Let's just go ahead and throw a hundred grand on top of them and add more taxes. So in a lot of ways, that's really tax inefficient to inherit IRAs, traditional IRAs right. or 401ks. So like you say, what can I do to be tax efficient for my kids where I may be in my retirement where I just dropped out of my highest tax bracket into maybe one of my lower tax brackets I've ever been in because I've been working and earning the most money I ever did. And now all of a sudden I'm not earning all that income. What can I do to pay a lower tax bracket on my kids' inheritance so that they can get it inherited tax-free? Correct. And I'll give you a couple scenarios of what uh, of cases that I've done. Yes. And keep in mind, it's life insurance. So the younger you are, the better bang for the buck. So the, more mo- the less money you give the insurance company at a younger age, the better you're going to get a death benefit. And the longer you wait, the more you pay to get that same death benefit. Anyhow, I had a, a farming family that uh, had f- probably five, 600 acres of farming ground, which is worth a fortune yeah. uh, in the heart of Amish country. So the Amish people just, they'll pay whatever. And um, 
So the dad and mom had probably two million of investable dollars, probably more than half of it taxable out of all the different accounts and stuff. And so this has been years ago. They were uh, fairly young. We did a, a joint and survivor life policy. So what that does is the death benefit pays out at the second death. So mom, mom and dad buy a life policy and we calculated what we estimated what the tax would be on the taxable side of it. Of course, we don't know the future tax situation. Right. And so they ended up buying, I don't remember, it was like a half a million dollar uh, life insurance policy and they paid it with a single premium. Uh, one premium, joint, second to die. You can do multiple premiums. I've done many where we pay annually because that mm-hmm. if you're older, why give them a lump sum when you can pay it annually and you may not pay as much as the lump sum. Right. But some people want to pay a lump sum and get it over with, and that's what this guy wanted to do. So anyhow, they're both gone now. At the second death, those kids inherited enough that they almost, it was just shy of a half a million bucks of tax-free money which paid the taxes and state taxes so they didn't have to sell any farm ground to because you know farmers a lot of times are cash poor Mm -hmm. but have a lot of real estate well this case he had both but but the what that money went and paid the taxes so that they could keep the farm without selling any part of it off so it was a pretty great scenario and it really worked well for them i'm currently working on a case where a lady has uh three roughly we'll use that number mm-hmm. three hundred fifty thousand in an annuity it's a non-qualified annuity that means all the interest is taxable all the interest that's built up for years in this annuity is taxable and she wants to give it to her granddaughters and she goes so when i pass away my granddaughters are going to get this annuity because it's that's one mm-hmm. account that she has she's given to those two girls and she goes, but it's most of it's going to be taxable because I've had it held it for so long. Many, right. many years. She's had multiple annuities that ended up in this annuity. So she was asking me about it. And I suggested that maybe we can exchange that money out of there, take it out, pay the tax today at her tax rate, which is very low because she's like uh, retired. She's 80, 80 plus mm-hmm. and take that money out, pay the taxes and take what's left and purchase a single premium whole life policy or a single premium UL, whatever, you know, came up with. Well, the only one we could find at at age uh, brackets were very limited. So anyhow, she's going to turn around and take 300,000 of that 350 and purchase a single premium life policy, which creates a 350 plus death benefit. That's totally tax-free. So she just turned 350,000 in probably 50% of it's taxable to the kids, you turn it into a life policy. She's paying the tax on that money and then turn it into a tax-free benefit for the kids. So essentially what she's doing is of that 350000 with a lot of that being taxable, so let's say well into the six figures of taxable interest whenever yep. that goes to the beneficiaries, she's going to save back 50000 just because she might need that to pay the taxes on something like this. Correct. She's going to take the other three hundred, buy a life policy that has a death benefit of three hundred and fifty. So essentially, she's going to get these grandkids $350,000 tax-free for the same $350,000 that would have been heavily taxed for those same grandkids. Yes, and those, those granddaughters uh, both have good jobs. So they're in a way higher tax bracket than she's in. And she Paying goes, they're going to they're gonna pay a lot of taxes. tax when they get that. I go, yes, they will. So this is, you know, this is what we're working on right now. So we're in the middle of that. So case. that's one of those strategic moves that you can, and th- these are the, the hard parts for 
any person who's a do-it-yourselfer or someone who has a full-time job that isn't in the the financial world, understanding the ins and outs of how the taxes work on life insurance and tax-deferred investments and things like that, there are loopholes, and they aren't illegal by any means, but they're highly complicated that you got to think through all these processes and understand the in, inner workings of this stuff to be able to do that. I mean, we're talking about saving tens of thousands of dollars in taxes for these granddaughters, all for the same process of, hey, you know what? Grandma can afford it. She can handle the taxes now. She'll pay a much lower rate. So that these girls, when they do get the money, they get the full amount that grandma wanted them to get originally. Right. And so you do give up, you know, cash growth, future earnings on that annuity that she's in currently would continue to grow. So if she lived another 10 years, you know, she might be better off, but the girls are still going to get dinged. And if the taxes go up, then yeah. it could be worse too. So this just locks it in, done deal. She's She has peace of mind that, you know, I've just did it right. This is a single premium whole life we're using there. So there is dividends going back in and increasing the death benefits. So it's going to go up a little bit. It's not a huge amount of her age that's going to go, but sure. it's still increased a little bit. So there's there's a lot of, you know, people hate hearing the word life insurance. Sure. They think of the life insurance sales guy knocking at my door, won't leave the kitchen table, or I get in his office and he's like this terror and high pressure and I need 10 times more life insurance than I really think I need. And mm-hmm. This is stupid. And you want all this money from me and I'll never see it. And, you know, you get to go through all that. I went, you know, I got trained in all that, but there's a great, it's a great tool for estate planning. Since we're on that subject today, it is a massive tool. It's the only, one of the only things I can think of that is a tax-free benefit under current tax law. Right. Now they've tried to change it over the years. It never seems to get anywhere. And hopefully it stays that way. But a death benefit is a tax-free benefit to your beneficiaries. And where else are you going to find that? It's tough to find. Well, you look at that, you go, the only other tax-free inheritance that's out there is um, is going to be a Roth yeah, IRA. Yeah, I was just going to say a Roth IRA is, has potential, but there's also you know yeah, there's, factors in there Yeah, as there's well. caveats to that. And then on top of that, you go, well, there's some non-qualified investments or or some assets that, that have a step up in basis when they go to the next generation. But even then, they potentially aren't tax-free because it can take months or years to close out an estate before you finally get your hands on that property. And that timing between when the person who had the property died and when the inheritors get their hands on that, there's taxes. So life insurance is crazy, and it's done quick. I just talked to somebody who had a loved one pass away. Within two weeks, a check in hand. For the amount that was the death benefit on life policy. That's not always the case, but I mean, we're talking about not not a matter of months and years, but maybe a matter of weeks or months that you're getting your hands on the money or the kids are or the grandkids or the charities even. It's just, it's simple. Now, I, I do get this question a lot, you know, because there's a lot of life insurance salespeople who will say, well, you don't even need investment size of things. And a life insurance company has everything you need for your financial planning. You don't need to have investments. You don't need to talk about anything other than whether it's an annuity or a whole life policy or whatever it is to plan for your retirement. We can do that because a lot of these life insurance policies you talk about, um, they have these cash values or these income streams that are kind of the sales pitches by the salespeople. Is that something that when you talk about estate planning that you talk a lot about the cash values and the income streams that can be generated by them? I usually don't focus on the cash value, although I was trained back in the early 80s to uh, sell the cash value as a retirement income or a savings vehicle. 
And if you go with the old big uh, mutual companies like Northwestern Mutual, they have a phenomenal dividend payout. They do build a really nice cash value. However, you can't use the cash value and still have the life insurance when that you get older. That is the biggest problem. So if I'm 65 and I and let's say I promoted that at 65, you can turn it on an income stream. Well, you're annuitizing the cash value for a monthly income guaranteed for the rest of your life, but the death benefit goes away. So what you do, if you're putting those together, you got cash and death benefit intertwined. Mm -hmm. So if I die, that's fine. I get the death benefit. I don't get the death benefit plus cash value. I get the death benefit. Right. And if I want to cash it out, I take the cash out, the death benefit's gone. So what did I, I paid all those years and now I don't have it. So the real key to life insurance is you're buying it for the death benefit. Focus on the death benefit. The cash is secondary. And we will talk about that usually in all cases to see what actual goals are for a specific person. But I don't think it's a great investment for cash growth. Right. Now, you can buy, you know, low cash value life policies that give you a higher death benefit for less premium. And then you take that difference and invest it, which is really what we do a lot of here for the average person who's 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. But yeah. I think for estate planning purposes, cash value is, is, is a mute point. We're not, we don't care about the cash. I just care about how getting that to the next gen or whoever I want it to go to without paying Uncle Sam a fortune. So the, the, mental, the mental note you need to make if you're buying a life insurance policy, at least if you're, if you're working with us on a, re, on a retirement plan, the mental note you need to make is whatever goes into that policy, all those premiums or the single premium or whatever it is, you are buying a death benefit. Yes, it does have some other features, cash value, things like that. If it, there's an emergency or something happens, you need to access it. That's available. But you are saying this money is going out of my pocket, and I am planning on giving that to whoever my beneficiaries are. It is not a part of my it is not a part of my net worth anymore, and even though it technically is, but it's not a part of my net worth. It's not a part of my retirement plan. This is a goal that I'm setting money aside and not planning on touching. I think of it as like Tori and I. We have our adoption fund. Yeah, that shows up on my bank statement. I totally see that lump sum of money that's sitting at about $25,000 that has just been hovering in my bank account. Boy, would I like to invest that, especially now when the markets are down like they are. Oh, yeah. But that's not my money. That money is set aside for something that is completely separate from my own financial choices. Same thing with life insurance. you got to separate that from your mind. Even if it is a, a single premium of $50,000 or $100,000, which can get you some really nice death benefits depending on what your age is and all those factors. Health, health, yeah, health and age and all that stuff. And again, you, you got to pass all the, the health questionnaires when it comes to life insurance. Nothing's guaranteed there. But once that policy is given out, that money is no longer a part of your financial plan. It's a part of your estate plan. And that's hard for some people to grasp because I have some clients who come in and they have policies from the 80s that that grandpa had sold them whole life policies and they talk about the cash value which is fine if that's what they want but a lot of times they talk about the cash value is man this is such a great thing to have but then you talk about okay well do you want that sixty thousand dollars or do you want your beneficiaries to get that 250 or three hundred thousand dollars that it's worth well gosh that seems like a pretty big difference i don't need the 60k i'd rather my kids get the 250 Okay, well, in that case, then you need to just talk about the 250. Quit worrying about that cash value. It's not your money anymore. That's for the next generation or the beneficiaries. Right, and I've had people go the other way. We're like, hey, I got you know three policies, a total of 150000 of cash sitting in those things. Uh, I'd like to 
take that out. I want to cancel those life policies, take that money and invest it. So I've had people do that. It's a long, lengthy conversation to be yes. sure. Cause Hey, you're 70 years old or 75. You're not going to buy these policies ever again for that kind of money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if they're a good old whole life, high dividend paying uh, policy, they got a lot of cash in them. Yep. Now there's not too many companies that do that. These are still the old school blue, blue chip, uh, mutual companies that are out there. And there's only a few of them left. So, you know, it doesn't happen that way all the time. Right. We get them in here all the time and don't have any cash in them or are about to blow up. Yeah, that's. So. A, I feel like I've managed more of those. The UL policies that were, oh, well, they said that it was good until age 115. It's like, well, you didn't pay your premiums right. And this thing's going to end at age 88 and you're 85 right now. So you need to either come up with a lot of cash or you're in trouble. This thing's done for. And boom goes the estate plan. Yeah. If that's what it was. So if you have an old universal life that you bought in the 80s and 90s, uh, most of them were sold in the 90s, late 80s when they started. Uh, a lot of those didn't have any secondary guarantees in them. So if you have those, you need to pay attention to when that policy is going to lapse, which is on your annual statement every year. And you need to have somebody review it. Again, life insurance is more technical than a do-it-yourself situation because yes. there's so many types of policies, so much junk out there. I love the ones on TV that advertise, guaranteed issue $10,000, no health questions asked. And you go, well, that's almost too good to be true. Now it's only ten grand, but if you look at what you pay in the premium for that has a graded death benefit for the first two years, so it doesn't become ten thousand till at the end of the two years. But by the time you pay the premiums in at the end of two years, you calculate what you paid into it. They aren't really on the hook for hardly anything. Yeah. I mean, you basically put that away and equal the ten thousand. Maybe a little bit of difference, but not much. Right. So it's very scammy, but again, I guess if somebody wants to buy, go for it. I mean, it's a sales pitch on the on the TV commercials, hitting the older people that have health issues that can't get any. Oh, I, I leave ten thousand as a burial, you know. Right. So, anyhow, lots of caveats there. Again, I think it's a professional thing that you need to talk to your advisor or a good life guy, not to, not the fly by night guys that kick your door down and to get in the house. <laughs> Yeah, stay away stay away from the sales guys that are that if you feel like like they're pushing and pressuring you to do anything, that should be sign number 1. If they're starting to educate you, that's when you go, "Okay, this this person might understand it a little bit." Everyone gets those feelings. Uh, you know, you get that gut feeling of, "Okay, this person actually is trying to help me. They are trying to educate me, help me understand what's best for me." Then there's the people that are Man, this person really just wants to make a buck off me. Well, if they if they only come with one solution, here's yes. my thing. If they sit down and really want to talk about stuff, overall financial plan, and what's your options, but if that guy comes in there and says, I got this great life policy, and you need to get on it today while you're young and you're healthy and blah, 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 he's selling, pushing one product. They're right. not, he or she, they're not trying to do a f- overall planning job for you. It's, I got to sell this because this is how I make my living. And that's okay. We just be weary of that. I mean, I, it's just crazy stuff going on out there still. It used to be way worse, but there's still a lot of it. Now they do it direct. It's always on TV ads. And, yep. And then if you get the little cards, I'm turning 65 next year. So I get these little mailers all the time. If you'd like more information about Medicare, please send this in with your name and your phone number. And back in the old days, they just show up at your door with that card and go, hey, and some of them have you sign them. 
and they show up at your door and go, Hey, I want to talk to you about Medicare and they don't want to leave you alone. It's just a, right. it's a lead card. Yeah. And, uh, so anytime you get that stuff, that sounds good, you know, in the mail, that's what you're going to get. So find a good fiduciary fee-based advisor out there. That's not going to, he's not looking for the commission. He's looking to do the job for you. Right. You know, he's here to be your, your quarterback or your coach or whatever, to make sure that things go right in your life financially. That's important. And if you want to do it on your own, good luck, man. That life insurance is a lot more complicated and it's hard to find them direct, good deals. Yeah. And um, other than the cheap term stuff that they advertise, which again, any advisor has that same access as uh, Select Quote or all those other companies that are on TV. We can all do the same thing, but they're quoting a perfectly healthy, healthy person yep. that's getting the absolute best interest rate and it's a 10 year lock in, you know, for. 20 cents a day or whatever it is. We can all do that. It's the same companies that are doing that. We all work with no difference in premium uh, whatsoever. So just be leery of that. Again, it's that direct selling thing that makes it sound like it's better than what your advisor can do. And your advisor can do the same thing for you. So keep all that in mind. If you, if you're looking for some help with your life insurance stuff, you got questions on policies that you already have, or maybe you're looking at potentially getting closer to retirement and talking about what do I want to give to my kids or my grandkids, or maybe you're younger, maybe you're in your 20s or 30s, and you're going, what kind of insurance do I need? So you can you can head over to our website, fikeadvisors.com. There's a schedule now button. You can schedule a time to talk to Brad or myself, and we can go through those items together and, and see what makes the best fit for your long-term plan. Again, life insurance, it's very complicated. Everything does not fit everybody. You need to find the thing that's best for your goals and your plan overall. So again, fikeadvisors.com, schedule now button in the top right corner, easiest way to get a hold of us. Doesn't cost you anything. Our first appointment's always complimentary just to see if we can help you at all. So um, final thoughts, Brad. We're wrapping this thing up. We, we already went uh, a little bit longer than usual. Well, one more thing on the uh, state planning is uh, we run into a lot of living trusts Mm. That guys are out selling and you pay thousands of dollars for them. And the only thing that living trust is doing is keeping your assets from probate. You can, you can beat that system without buying the trust unless you have a lot of real estate or a lot of hard assets and, or you have a complicated beneficiary status. I'm not a big fan. I'm not an attorney. So you need to talk to your attorney, Absolutely. but if you want to talk to us or your advisor, I would highly suggest you do that before you do a revocable living trust irrevocable is designed for estate planning revocable is only designed for 99 percent of the time is to escape probate and or difficult beneficiary designations yeah get get an objective opinion attorneys while they while they're great legal advisors sometimes they're just as salesy as uh as financial seminar guys yeah the seminar guys just be careful you know check check it out get an objective opinion on something before you just dive in and trust that that attorney to to write that trust it may fit you it may be something that works but it may also not be it may not be worth the two three five grand whatever it is you're paying for it so keep that in mind oh yeah super bowl super bowl (laughs) here we go brownies here we go Hopefully in our next episode in two weeks, we'll have good news about how the Browns just continued to win. (laughs) I don't think so, though. (laughs) Have a good rest of your week, guys. Investment advisory services provided by Fike Advisors, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult a professional before taking any action. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.